Hi, everyone, and welcome to the What the Flip podcast. Don't let the name fool you. We talk about all things real estate investing in less than 30 minutes. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the What the Flip podcast titled Top 10 Questions I Normally Get Asked. The reason I wanted to do this episode is because I really wanted to talk about some of the questions that I hear over and over again uh, and kind of be able to point people to this episode if I get asked questions uh, to check this out first. Um, these are some questions that I get asked, not necessarily that pertain just to real estate investing. It could you know, do anything with real estate. So um, hopefully this will help answer some of the questions you may have or some of the things that you're thinking about or even give you some things that you haven't thought about before. Uh, but before we jump into this episode, I really just wanted to take a minute and say um, that last week I didn't record an episode and I apologize for you know the 16 people out there who listen to this podcast. Um, I was really just kind of not feeling it and uh, I happened to get a call um, and you know some somebody out of the blue who said, hey, I listened to your podcast and I got some really great information out of it and I had no clue that this person listened to the podcast at all or, you know, any thoughts that they ever would. And so it really just kind of got me re-energized. And so I, I want to just say thank you to those of you guys who are listening. Uh, you know, this podcast really isn't for me to, you know, put any ads or sell anything or, or try to do anything like that. It's more of just the fact that I love talking about real estate. And I've had the opportunity to have multiple conversations with people uh, about real estate. And I felt like, having a platform where I could talk to people about those kind of things would uh, would help kind of give people answers if they didn't feel like reaching out to me or uh, help somebody who I didn't know about, which seems to happen in this case. So I really appreciate that. Thank you for those who listen. Uh, thank you for those who've checked out an episode or two or who are just new to this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. But so we'll jump right in. So top questions I normally get asked. Question number one. Should I get my real estate license? No. And I say that because there's two reasons. If you're going to get your real estate license, get it because you want to sell real estate. Don't get it because you're interested in investment properties. Will it help you with investment properties? Sure. Getting your real estate license is going to help you. It's going to help you know the contract. It's going to help you know your outs. Uh, It's going to help you know your timelines, negotiating, all the little ins and outs there are to know about the real estate contract and you know how to negotiate and kind of give you a leg up against some of the competition. But I can honestly tell you that if you plan on buying more than one house, that you'll get a good idea of all those things anyway. And so I would say by the time you look at the third or fourth contract, you'll really have a good understanding of what real, real estate agents are looking at anyway. So um, if you're going to get your real estate license, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, it's going to help you a little bit, but more than likely, if you're going to go out and spend the time to get it, Colorado is one of the hardest states to get your real estate license in. It requires some of the most hours. Um, if you're going to go out and do that, then I would say, make sure that that's something that you're truly passionate about. When I say something you're passionate about, I mean, helping people find, uh, and sell their home and not necessarily just real estate investing. There's a lot of initial cost in taking the test, taking the courses, getting your license, getting set up with, uh, you know, if you're going to join a, you know, local association or realtors club or whatever you're going to join, there's a lot of cost, uh, you know, in accessing the MLS. There's, I would probably say a startup cost for a real estate agent is anywhere from, 
low end about fifteen hundred to high end about forty five hundred. Uh, you know, from business cards to pictures to getting set up, um, and then just honestly carrying yourself for a few months if that's what you're going to jump into full time. So, uh, if you're going to jump into real estate, be ready to make that commitment. If you're planning on doing it part time. Um, you know, there's still some of the same initial startup costs that you're going to have, whether you do it full-time or part-time. Uh, if you do go part-time, hopefully you have another job on the side and it can support you during that time where you're getting your first deal. But, uh, yeah, being a real estate agent is not very easy. It's pretty easy in some States to get into, but it's not easy to make money. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I could go into with that, but we'll just leave it at that. So, Yes, if that's what you're truly interested in doing, no, if you're just doing it because you think you should, because it's going to give you a leg up. Do I need money to get started? Yes, you need money to get started in real estate. Do you need a lot of money to get started in real estate? Not necessarily. And I'm talking about real estate investing now and not real estate license. So sorry for the confusion. When I say you need a little bit of money, what I mean is that you can't jump into real estate investing with nothing. Either you have to have money yourself or you have to know where to find money, whether it's the bank, whether it's um, some friend who wants to invest but doesn't have the time, a parent who has some extra money, your 401k, your Roth IRA, whatever you may have, you need some kind of access to funds. Um, and I say that you don't necessarily need those because in some deals you can get your money back and I'll do an episode about that next week. Super excited about a deal I just did where the bank actually ended up paying me $1,000 to buy a house. That's a teaser. Uh, so I'll talk about that next week, but you'll need some access to money. So in order to get started in real estate, I don't know of very many deals where you needed absolutely no money. Um, there are some deals where you can get owner carries and you can get financing through that and they can pay part of your down payment uh, and all that good stuff. And yeah, there are some options. And uh, Brandon Turner, if you haven't heard of him, he wrote a book called, I think, Real Estate Investing with No or Low Money Down. Uh, I haven't read it, so you may want to check it out, but I know there's tons of options in there. Um, but most of them do require you knowing where to access money or being able to be really creative. And if it's your first deal, it, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit of work to be really creative. And so you have to be ready to put in that work. It's not going to be as easy as if you had the money ready to go. This question I get asked a lot, should I form an LLC or is an umbrella policy enough? So for those of you who don't know, an umbrella policy is basically a policy that goes over the top of your insurance. And so Think of it like this. Say you have your car, your house, a boat. You have all those items insured. What an umbrella policy does is it covers above all those policies. And so it covers your house. If you exhaust all your options, it covers your boat. It covers your car. And the same thing happens in real estate. So originally, I had a umbrella policy to cover my investment properties. Uh, for I think it was a million dollars. And I know that sounds like a lot, but honestly, an umbrella policy over the top. So you still have to have insurance on your rental properties, but I had an umbrella policy over the top of those insurance policies. And so the umbrella policy was only, you know, I think a couple hundred bucks for the year to have a million dollar policy. And it's because basically it just says, 
exhaust your insurance on your home first. Once it's exhausted, then your umbrella policy kicks in. So uh, the chances, knock on wood, are very slim that you'll ever have to use it, but it's there uh, in cases like, you know, if there's some catastrophe and somebody got hurt and you were liable and they took you to court, then your umbrella policy could kick in after you exhaust all the funds in your regular insurance policy. Once you hit so many homes, you have to get what I have now. It's called a commercial policy. Uh, and so basically it allows me to put all of my rental properties under this umbrella. I think I have two or $3 million policy now. Uh, and it's just the same exact thing, but it's a commercial policy because of how many liabilities I carry now under that. Um, and then for those of you who don't know, an LLC is just basically um, forming a business or limited liability uh, entity in which you can stick a property in. And so a lot of people like the LLCs because they think that it provides more protection. And in some cases it does, but there's what's called piercing the corporate veil or pulling back the corporate veil. What happens in a lot of cases is people will create an LLC thinking uh, that that's all they need to do. There's a lot of steps in creating the LLC and a lot of things that you need to do in order to make it an actual LLC and not just a front to hide your property. And if a lawyer comes after you, there's a good chance he's going to figure out how to get around your LLC. So if you are going to create an LLC, make sure that you're operating it correctly. You need articles of incorporation. You need yearly minutes. You need to file with the um, you know county that you're in or the city or the state that you're in every two years. Uh, there's just a lot of different things that you have to do and you have to stay on top of. You have to keep minutes uh, every time you have a meeting. You have to keep your funds separate. Uh, if you co-mingle funds, then that opens you up to having um, people have access to your personal funds because you've co-mingled business funds with personal funds. So um, in my case, I have an LLC and I have an umbrella policy. Uh, the reason that I have both is I have some properties in an LLC. I have some properties in an umbrella policy. Well, I have all properties in an umbrella policy. But um, for me, I would say I don't expect the LLC to protect me in any way. And that's why I have the umbrella policy. Um, the LLC is set up as correctly as I can. I don't commingle funds. I make sure I write checks to the right places. I make sure I keep funds separate. Um you know, I try my best to follow all the rules of LLC, but I know that there's probably something I'm missing, and that's why I have an umbrella policy. Uh, some people will say go with one or go with the other. Honestly, you know what? This whole podcast, I just want to make sure, is just my opinion. If you haven't heard that in previous episodes, please know this is all my opinion and not uh, anything law or, or anything that I'm stating from fact, but I'm saying that uh, umbrella policy should be enough to cover you if you get the right umbrella policy and if you get the right amount. Uh, an LLC is great. An LLC is good to protect you from um, a partner that you may have in a deal. Um, I would say that's probably what will protect you for from most rather than uh, protecting you from a tenant who may come after you. So just make sure that you set yourself up, whether you choose an umbrella or whether you choose an LLC correctly, uh, and you follow all the laws and regulations in your state. Should I self-manage or should I hire a property manager? I would say for your first deal, you should self-manage. And the reason I say that is because 
you're going to learn so much more than if you hire somebody to manage. You're going to learn the rules of your city. You're going to learn the rules of your state. You're going to learn what you can and can't do. Hopefully you've read some of those rules previously so you don't get yourself into some legal trouble. Uh, You're going to learn how to screen tenants. You're going to learn how to take pictures. You're going to learn how to do um, maintenance calls, whatever it is. I mean, there's just so many things that uh, what's that saying go? You don't know what you don't know. And if you hire a property manager, there's going to be times where they call you and say, hey, I went ahead and did A, B, and C. And in your mind, you're going to say, well, why'd you do that? Why didn't you do it this other way? But as a you know self-manager, you're going to get to see that firsthand and you're going to make those decisions. And so when you do get to the point where you turn over your properties, you're going to have a good idea of this is how I would operate it. And then you can see how they operate it, and you can see how it lines up. And then you can kind of compare, okay, I get why they did that or no, I don't get it. Let me talk to them about it and then see. But I would say self-managing taught me so many things. My first property, I learned how to uh, evict a tenant. I learned how to um, hold back parts of the deposit because I needed to. I learned how to you know, turn over a property, how to screen tenants. Um, I did some maintenance calls. I learned that I, you know, I'm pretty handy, but I'm terrible when it comes to um, you know, fixing electric, or, you know, <laughs> anything with a uh, a wire and a battery or a plug is not my strong suit. Um, so I learned that pretty quickly. Or uh, plumbing and you know, snaking. I ended up buying a snake, and I use it all the time now. But uh, it took me a while to get get at that. So definitely, if you can, if it's close by, self manage your first property. Just if nothing else, the experience. I wouldn't say self-manage it with the idea that you're going to save money. I'd say self-manage with the idea that you're going to get experience. That's why I would self-manage. If you're not willing to gain that experience, hire a property manager all day long. The whole point of buying an investment property, at least in my eyes, is to not create more work, but to provide more freedom. If I'm self-managing all the properties that I had now, I would be on the phone or in court or calling a vendor to fix something all the time. And so that's why I have a property manager now. I self-manage one property, one door out of the 65 that I own. So, um, and that one is just 15 minutes down the road. So that's my thought on that. Single family versus multifamily. It's all preference. It really is. I started off with a single family. I purchased a second single family. Then I purchased a condo. Uh, and then I've purchased nothing but multifamily since then. My thought process was if I buy single families and I buy 50 single families, I have 50 lawns, 50 roofs, 50 trash, you know, IDs that I need to pick, rely on, uh, 50 accounts with the gas company, 50 water bills, you know, 50 sets of tenants that are all spread out. You know, the chances of me getting a whole bunch of properties right next to each other is probably going to be pretty slim. Uh, And I quickly realized that if I bought a 50 unit versus 50 homes, I would have one roof, maybe two. I would have one yard. I would most likely have a combined water bill or a combined electric bill or whatever bill I was paying. Um, you know, I'd be able to do it all in one shot. To me, it was all about convenience. And I realized, you know, kind of the economies of scale that it was going to be so much easier for me to track a multifamily than it was going to be to track a bunch of single families. I say single families are great because it's what most of us um, 
no, you know, we grew up in them or we lived them in at some point in time. And so you know how it, how it works. I mean, it's simple. You pay for trash, water, electricity, gas, um, you know, you figure out how everything is broken down. You don't have to worry about splitting with anybody else. It's very straightforward. And one set of tenants, um, you know, if there's an insurance claim, you know exactly the process because you've probably been through it before. But um, for me, it was just really thinking about how am I going to scale this business? Where am I headed in the future? And that's kind of why I switched to multifamily. Um, so I have one single family house left and it's the one that I self-managed. Everything else is a duplex or above. So um, I know that probably doesn't give you a straight answer, but I can tell you that honestly, it's what you know. I know people who swear by single families and they say it's way easier to operate and so much easier to, um, you know, really kind of scale up in their mind. And then I know people who say, you know, it makes no sense for me to own a hundred homes when I can own one, you know, multifamily that's a hundred units. So uh, really it's, it's a preference. I would say start with what you feel comfortable with. And then if you feel like, after doing a few deals, that's not going to work for you, then switch. You know, nobody says that you have to do the same thing in real estate that you started in. Um, it's like college for most of us. I started with one major, I switched about three times and I, you know, finished on something I never thought I would do. And, you know, I figured that's probably how a lot of people did college. Uh, you know, very few of us jumped into being a doctor and went from start to finish. So figure out what you want to do first try that. If it works, great. Continue to run with it. If you're having success, why, you know, why reinvent the wheel if you're having success? But if you feel like you need to make a change or you feel like you need to take your business in a different direction, then switch to multifamily or switch to, you know, assisted living homes or switch to mobile homes or whatever you switch to. Um, make sure you have a reason why you're doing it and not just because you think you need a change, but uh, there needs to be a reason behind it. How do you invest out of state? Uh, easy. I invest in places that I have lived. Um, people assume that, you know, I invest out of state and it's just, you know, I kind of threw a dart at the map and I said, hey, I should pick here. But I live in Colorado for those of you guys who don't know me. Um, I live in, in northern Colorado, which is a hot market. I mean, anywhere in Colorado, for the most part, is a hot market. Um, and I just got to the point where I couldn't afford deals here. And so I grew up in Kansas City and I lived in Wichita. So I started to look at those places as places that I could possibly invest. Uh, my first out-of-state deal was in Kansas City. I knew a whole bunch of agents in Kansas City, so that was easy then. Um, I leveraged those agents to find different vendors, so roofers, electricians. Um, I actually found my contractor who's in Kansas City uh, you know, off of Craigslist, and he's been great. He helped me flip a house and did an amazing job. So you just kind of have to build your team and then you have to start to really trust the people that you built your team around. Um, so, you know, not everybody can get on Craigslist and find a great contractor. I'll link him in this episode because shout out to Chris. He does a great job. Um, and then, you know, the people who helped me buy houses have been great out there. So, you know, I've used a couple different agents and they've all been wonderful. Um but I've gone to places that I know, and that's the key, I think, to starting to invest out of state. I'm pretty sure I could move into territories where I haven't lived, but it's working for me right now. So why change? Like I said in the previous you know, question and answer, 
you know, why reinvent the wheel? You know, I'm having success investing in the places that I know. And um, it's a lot easier for me to get references from people that I know that live in those places. You know, I have friends in Kansas City. I have friends in Wichita. Uh, they've given me some references and some have been good and some not so much. But um, it's a lot easier to find people that I can work with in places that I've already lived and connections that I already have. Uh, people are more likely to refer you to people that they trust um, when they have, you know, some kind of relationship with you. If it's somebody that you just call randomly in Atlanta and say, hey, I need some help. Could you refer me out to a construction worker? Well, you know, they may have 15 guys and they may owe favors to a couple of them. And who knows if those guys are going to be any good. So um, people are more likely to refer you to people that they trust, knowing that you're their friend and they don't want to steer you wrong. So if you're going to look out of state, definitely look at places that you've lived um, that maybe give you, everybody wants to know what's their advantage. And my advantage was I lived in Kansas City. I lived in Wichita. I know the areas, um, you know, and I, I can tell you not like the back of my hand, but I can have a pretty good idea versus anybody just trying to invest in those areas, you know, what what's going to be work and what's not. So um, just know what your competitive advantage is. What am I up to? Well, I'm up to a couple different things. Uh, right now, we're starting to move into turnkey properties. And so uh, we're starting to kind of build that model out and test it ourselves. And, you know, I really don't want to put anybody into some turnkey stuff until I make sure that I know uh, the ins and outs of what we're doing and how successful we've been and what the return on investment is going to be. Uh, I'm also working on a 28 unit that we just purchased where uh, we got some money from the bank and um, we're basically taking a property that needed all 28 units to be renovated and we're forcing the equity on that property. So we're taking it from uh, basically, you know, if I had to go off the top of my head, I think it was like, you know, a seven cap to like a nine or 10 cap. Uh, so we're really increasing the property, the value on that one. Uh, I'm also doing a refinance right now. And so I'm doing a cash out refi. I'll talk about that in the next episode. Um, I'm also doing another cash out refi on another property. Uh, we just finished renovating a four unit. Um, and we just put an offer in on another duplex, which or no, a single family, which we're going to try to turn into a five bedroom. So uh, I'm trying to do a lot. Uh, well, it sounds like a lot, but really it's not. It's just about managing my time and managing the people and leveraging the people. So a uh, huge, huge shout out to uh, my property manager. I'll link him in here, but in Wichita, Denzel, he's been great. Um, and then also, you know, leveraging my uh, um, agent, my insurance agent, TJ, I'll link him as well. But uh, just been some really helpful people and, you know, having a good team, like I said, is kind of the key to really having success uh, in real estate. So the stronger people that you have around you, the more that you can rely on them to get things done for you. Uh, next question. What's the craziest thing that you've experienced as a landlord? <laughs> the craziest thing that I've experienced as a landlord is what I like to call the 24 hour turnaround. Um, long story short. I had a tenant. They kept saying that they're going to pay. They never did. I basically gave them an ultimatum and said, hey, at the end of the month, you have to move out. Well, thinking ahead like I normally do, I got the place rented for the first. And they're supposed to move out on the 30th. 
I thought in my head that I was going to walk into a completely clean property. It's going to be ready to go. Maybe I just need to have the cleaners come in. I walk in and there's literally cat all over the floor. Um, you know, I wish I could bleep myself out because I, <laughs> I would say, yeah, what I saw, I saw that and cat piss. I saw food still in the refrigerator. I saw a stove that looked like, uh, you know, college students lived there. It was a family. It was a family of four. Um, they were still moving stuff out when I walked into the place. I had doors that were missing. I had holes in the wall. I had crayons on the wall. Um, I called one of my buddies, Brian, you know, I'm linking a whole bunch of people in this episode because this episode is just basically a ton of people who've helped me out. So, uh, I just want to give shout shout outs to all of them. So Brian green, um, I'll link him here. If you're in Colorado, hit him up. He's been awesome. But I basically called him and I was like, Hey, I'm in a pickle. Can you come over here? He showed up 10 minutes later. Kid you not Walked the whole property with me. He runs a painting crew, got the painting crew done, runs a maintenance crew, got maintenance in there. Uh, he also happened to have <laughs> a family member who had a carpet cleaning business. He got them over there. I called the cleaners that I normally use. They came over, you know, clean from top to bottom, literally in 24 hours, we went from a place that, you know, I probably wouldn't touch with the 10 foot pole to having it ready for new renters. It was huge. I think the only thing we didn't have on was doors because they got new doors and painted them. Uh, and the doors went up like two days later. But yeah, without, like I said, without the right team around, there's no way I would have had the right turnaround on that. So um, if there's one thing that you do in real estate, build your team quickly, get reliable people, get people who are going to help you, um, get people who have your best interest in mind. Um, huge thanks to Brian on that one. Cause man, without him, I was like ready to cry. That was a huge, huge turnaround. If, uh, you know me on Facebook, I posted pictures of that day. I mean, it was night and day from what I saw to what I ended up with. Um, next question is, should I invest in real estate? I don't, I don't know. Everybody's different. Some people are going to have massive success. Some people are going to have some failures and they're going to give up. I would say invest in real estate if you're okay with taking a calculated risk. Uh, invest in real estate if you want to try to better yourself and you feel like that's the best route to go. Um, I know there's a lot of avenues out there. Real estate is kind of the one tangible thing for me. Uh, you know, there's stocks, there's you know 401ks, there's what is it? The college savings accounts. There's uh, a whole bunch of different things, you know, increasing your salary at work, working side jobs. To me, I knew investment properties or I just knew real estate in general from, you know, becoming an agent and then really knowing my numbers and, and having a good idea of how to read numbers uh, and how to calculate basic return on investment. It it made sense. It was very tangible to me. It was very easy to understand. I knew that I was taking a risk because nothing is ever a slam dunk. Um, there are some deals out there that are, you know, great. And I've had some deals where I'm just like, they're mind blowing. If I could have 10 more deals like that, I could probably retire. But there's also a lot of times where I'm like, man, I have more money going out than I have coming in. And that's just being honest. If any real estate investor tells you that's different than, you know, kudos and have them call me because they have the magic sauce and I don't. But real estate investing is not for everybody. I do think most people and then, you know, with a basic amount of education in it uh, and a willingness to work hard and a willingness to understand that it's not flawless, 
can be successful in it. So I think if you're willing to take a little bit of a risk and you're willing to put your neck out there a little bit uh, and understand that not everything is going to be a slam dunk, then you'll be successful in real estate. But I think if you expect to make you know $10,000 on your first deal in two months and never have a tenant call you and never have anything go wrong, then you're kind of walking into a trap and, and probably real estate's not the best vehicle for you. Um, and then the final question I would say is what should I always think about when doing a deal? And honestly, just think about your exits. I know that's not what anybody wants to think about. They want to think about how much money am I going to make? They want to think about, uh, you know, how great this deal is. But honestly, when I do a deal, I try to think of if stuff goes sideways, how do I get out of it? Um, you know, do I sell the property? Can I flip the property? Um, am I making enough cash flow that I can carry the property for a while? You know, if the market goes south, um, you know, can I do an owner carry if I, you know, purchase the property outright? Uh, you know, what are my ways to exit this? Can I refinance it if I, you know, do some improvements to it and, you know, maybe get some of my money out? You just want to know worst case scenario, how do I get out of this deal? And not necessarily I'm talking about the contract, but I'm talking about you've gone to the closing table, you got tenants in there, uh, and the property is just not working out. The deal is just not working out. You've tried everything. Um, you've tried new property management. You've tried you know, lowering the rents. You've tried redoing properties. Just know your outs. Know how to get out of the deal. If you know that, then I think worst case scenario is you may lose a little bit of money, but... Uh, if you know, you know, what the worst case scenario is, then you're prepared for it. And I think that that's why some people ultimately just crash and burn in this industry is that they buy a property, they think it's a slam dunk, um, and they just don't know what they're going to do. You know, just, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm trying not to cuss, but if stuff hits the fan, they're just not ready for it. But uh, I'm coming up on the 30 minutes. I don't want to take any more time than that. Thanks for listening to this episode. As always, you can find me at info at webuildyourlegacy.com. Find me on Instagram at Legacy Investment Holdings or Facebook on the same name. Until next week, you guys take it easy. Another episode of What the Flip Podcast.